Welcome to the last session of the Digital Spring School Brain, Lifestyle and Learning, in which we separately discuss the importance of three lifestyle factors, uh, physical activity, sleep and nutrition, and the relation with the brain and its function. We thank the national initiative Brain and Cognition for financing this initiative. My name is Renate de Groot and I'm sharing the table with Jerome Gijzelaars. As organizers of the Digital Spring School, we will provide you today with a wrap-up of the last six weeks. Uh, we will try to integrate all the information you heard. We hope to provide you with some new information and in addition we will show you some nice video material from our experts. Um, in this video material they will tell you something more about their vision uh, regarding the integrated approach. You as participant can still ask your questions. You can do that throughout the whole live session, but the format will be a bit different from the last times. So we just include your questions when it fits in our uh, discussion. So uh, please ask them all the uh, during all the time and we just see how it goes. Sharam, uh, what's your opinion about the Digital Spring School? How did it go? I think it uh, went very well. I think it was a, a very nice initiative with a new and unique approach. Um, the participants were able to participate from distance, so uh, it was digital. We used live broadcasts uh, in which the experts, uh, the juniors and the seniors gave their opinions. Uh, there was a chat in which they could ask questions, interact with other participants. And it was a very lively chat. Uh, it was very dynamic. And next to that, we had in between the live broadcasts, we had these uh, learning activities. And it started off with uh, reacting to a statement uh, under, uh, uh, with references to, uh, to back this up. We used blogs. Uh, we asked them to write recommendations for your future research. So it was uh, a lot of input, a lot of knowledge was shared. A lot of interaction. A lot of interaction, yeah. Very interactive yeah. discussions also on other people's blogs. People with expertise reacted on other people. It was very nice, yeah. And yeah, to sum up, the, the Digital Spring School focuses on, uh, focused on physical activity, nutrition and sleep. All environmental factors. But I'm wondering, are we missing out on one thing? How does genetic predisposition come around this corner? I think you're raising there a very good uh, point. And um, I brought a slide uh, with me and that uh, slide deals with uh, the brain of uh, twins. And let's have a look at that uh, slide. On uh, the left side of the slide, you do see the brain of identical twins. Identical twins are characterized by the fact that they share exactly uh, the same genetic material. So their genetic material is for 100% identical. On the right uh, side, you do see the brain of fraternal twins. They have about 25% of their genes comparable. But what's more interesting is that those identical twins who share exactly the uh, same genetic material still have uh, differences in their brain, in their gray matter correlation. As we see from the blue parts in this uh, picture, uh, there we see that their brains are not 
perfectly correlated. So there is a difference in their gray matter. So although these twins have exactly the same genetic material, although during pregnancy they both had entrance to the same food, through the same toxic substances, for example, and even after birth those uh, twins were raised in the same family under the same social economic status, again with entrance to the same nutrition, probably were stimulated by the parents in the same way, went to the same school, uh, had this comparable amounts of physical activity or at least entrance uh, to it, we still do see differences in brain outgrowth. So I don't really care whether um, uh, intelligence or school performance is really um, uh, genetically uh, based or predisposed by genetics, but even if it's predisposed by the ge genetics for 50%, or as some researchers do argument for 80 or 90%, we do see differences. So those relative subtle uh, differences in environmental factors between those identical twins result still in differences in ba brain outgrowth. So it's the environment which determines the way our brains development. So it's thus the parents who play an important role, and thus the teachers, and thus the peers, friends, and other family members. Mm -hmm. So I think you raise a very good point that genetics is important, but luckily we can do a lot with environmental stimulation. Okay. Okay, so you actually say that despite the genetics, brain and its function are still heavily influenced by environmental factors. Yes. But this could be caused by epigenetics. Epigenetics, can you tell us a bit more what is epigenetics? Epigenetics is the, the field in which they study changes in gene expression which are not caused by the DNA. Okay, can you tell us a bit more about the basics of epigenetics? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I can, and I will use the following slides for that. I will first explain what you see here and then I will explain more about the, the basics of epigenetics. On the left of the slide you see a chromosome, an X chromosome, uh, that possibly uh, sounds familiar for a lot of people. And this chromosome, as you see it here, is only visible when the cell is in a mitotic state, meaning that it's um, on the brink of parting itself. And the line which is uh, going from it on the upper side of the picture, that is called chromatin. And chromatin uh, consists of three uh, main things, and that is DNA, histones, and other molecules. And histones, what you can see here when I point to it, these small round balls, um, these histones are used to wrap the DNA around it and to organize the DNA. And uh, these histones are, um, some, some molecules bind to these histone tails and this determines whether these histones roll the DNA up very dense or very loosely. And I'll come back to that in a few moments, what that actually means. And next to that you have also methylation, DNA methylation. You can see it on the lower part of the graph. And the DNA methylation is there in order to silence genes. When DNA is methylated, so certain parts of the nucleotides of the, of the DNA is methylated, then these genes are actually silenced. These are the main two mechanisms I will go into deep, uh, I will go uh, in deeper today, but there is also microRNA, which is on the uh, lower part of the picture, 
And this is also an important process, but I will not go deeper into it, but it's used to also downregulate genes. Well, to come back to histones and DNA methylation, the two important factors, I could go further to this slide. You see here the same as in the previous slide. On the left upper side, you see the X chromosome again. From that, the chromatin. And when you unravel the chromatin even more, you see again these histones with the DNA around it. And if these histones are um, wrapped, the DNA is wrapped around the, the histones loose enough, then you see that you can get room for the DNA to split and to transcribe RNA from the DNA. And that's what you see here when I point to it on the lower side of the picture. You see that the RNA can be transcribed from the DNA. So when the histones are actually rolled more dense, it's not possible. And this is what we call histone modification. This determines how genes can be expressed. And together with the DNA methylation, what uh, silences genes, this is how epigenetics regulate gene expression. And the last slide I will show just to, to visualize again how this chromatin is more dense or more loosely. If you look at the picture on the left side, you see the euchromatin, the loose uh, chromatin, so actually possible to transcribe RNA, uh, DNA into RNA. And on the right, you see very dense chromatin, which is not possible to transcribe from. Okay. Thus, you are actually saying that um, histone modification and DNA methylation uh, play a role in whether DNA can be read or not. Yep. And are you also suggesting now that our environmental factors, so sleep, nutrition and physical activity, can influence those processes of histone modification and DNA methylation? Yep. That's exactly what, uh, what, I, what I meant, yes. Our environment influences the epigenetics. So the genetic part you get from the DNA and everything lying above that, epigenetics, is determining how these genes are expressed and uh, how the genes are regulated. And for example, if you look at uh, someone who is predisposed to getting cancer, so has actually has genes which are a predisposition for cancer, if someone lives very healthy, it could be, uh, and this is also already proven in a number of studies, that the histone modification and the DNA methylation of this person are such that this predisposition doesn't arise in the phenotype, meaning the person doesn't get cancer, luckily. If a person has a very unhealthy lifestyle with the same predisposition, it could be that through modification of the histones and the DNA methylation, um, these genes are expressed and then you get cancer. So actually only genetics doesn't make it whole. It's exactly what you said earlier. Yeah. The environment plays a very vital role. Okay, but what's already known about our lifestyle factors, nutrition, physical activity and sleep in relation to brain and its function mm -hmm. and the epigenetics? Yeah, yeah let's, let's first um, stress that epigenetic focuses a lot on health variables, on susceptibility to to diseases, on uh, mortality risks, on uh, susceptibilities to psychiatric disorders, uh, and related to brain and its function is still yeah uh, a, a field which hasn't uh, in which nothing is in which minor <laughs> has been discovered. So um, and epigenetics, the, the the definition of epigenetics also differs from very stable heritable changes which are prolonged, 
to very acute, subtle, uh, dynamic changes. And this brings me to, to your question, because there are, for example, stable heritable changes that if a mother eats a lot of junk food, there is an epigenetic marker also in the, uh, in the whole chromatin model of the child, which has prolonged effects in the child's life. So that's a very heritable, stable change. But there are also very acute, dynamic changes. If you look at neuronal activity, if neurons are active, they fire, you get synaptic uh, uh, activity. And this synaptic activity is related to transcription factors in the cell. And these transcription factors lead to acute chromatin remodeling. So actually, normal brain cell activity leads to epigenetic changes, leading to other gene expression. So this could also mean that our lifestyle factors influence the gene expression. And I have a number of examples uh, from literature in which physical activity, nutrition, and sleep um, influenced cognition. And there was an experiment with rats in which rats that exercised more had epigenetic changes and this induced a better cognition. Cognition, so to speak. Uh, rats, they, they try behavioral experiments in which they learn. So, and this is transferred, generalized to humans into cognition uh, uh, fields in the brain. And another study which used pregnant rats uh, they made a group of pregnant rats move more and another group move less. And what you saw is that pregnant rats later on had pups which performed better in learning tasks. And lead away, you blogged about this um, and you asked, is there any uh, possible mechanism explaining for this? Well, I looked into it and in, in the article they didn't know where it came from, but another article also focused on this and suggested that this could be caused by epigenetic mechanisms. The mother moves more, uh, the, the, the pup in the uterus gets epigenetic changes, and these epigenetic changes causes changes in the BDNF gene. And this BDNF gene, brain-derived neurotropic factor, is um, responsible for long-term potentiation, the neural correlate of memory formation. If I may interrupt you, sure. because you are referring to Liedewey, and Liedewey is also uh, asking a question now through the chat, and I think this is a nice chance to answer uh, this. Uh, she's asking, um, but identical twins can have a different birth weight, and that also relates to the part I just explained about the genetics and uh, the environmental factors in twins. So identical twins can have a different birth weight, so would that not mean that there is already a large difference to start with? Yes, indeed, I think that's right, but just by positioning already in uh, the womb and uh, the way the uh, twins at that moment have access to nutrition can already be an epigenetic factor yeah. you are talking about. Yeah, Do exactly, you want to exactly. elaborate a bit more yeah, on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly the case. I was also thinking about that because in the womb, actually, uh, you also have the, 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 the placenta, which is possibly shared or possibly not shared. And all these factors in, uh, interact with, with the fetus already. So if there are already, because of perhaps a different placenta and different nutritional status in the child, it already gets epigenetical uh, changes. And in epigenetics, it's, it's very interesting to see that the epigenetic factors, the DNA methylation and, and histone modification, gets cut back in the fetus to a very minor level. And from this point on, it starts elaborating, because we all know the fetus starts with a zygote. 
and then it starts making pluripotent cells in which the brain cells and the skin cells and everything is made up and the epigenetic factors are added until you have a very highly differenti differentiated cell and only minor changes in the beginning can cause major effects in, uh, in the end such as birth weight yeah, yeah. Um, David uh, Gast is asking what is known about the influence of vitamins on epigenetics. I don't know whether you have an example of that. That's, yeah, then I'm going on with my story because that's exactly what I wanted to tell. Um, well, I start with a main nutrient because there was a very uh, nice experiment in humans where they uh, gave people an, 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 a single serving of broccoli and that already led three to six hours after consumption to a change in epigenetics. So that is already that you see just one serving leads to a change. And to come back to the vitamins question, David, uh, folate, vitamin B6, vitamin B12 are three very important vitamins, which are all three involved in the process of DNA methylation. And because they are involved in it, they can actually silence or activate certain genes. And this is, I think, very important in this uh, epigenetic respect. Okay. Well let's finish here with the aspect of epigenetics and uh, let's go back to our uh, main question eh? the main question we deal with in this uh, digital uh, spring school how are lifestyle factors uh, related with brain and its function and we do have an additional slides uh, with that and we heard a lot from our experts about uh, the association between for example physical activity and uh, the brain but yeah, our expert also told us more. Huh? Erik Scherder, for example, said, well, it's interesting to look at exercise and brain function, but it's not just exercise. Uh, we should also have a look at sedentary behavior. Uh, nutrition, it's not the effect of an individual nutrients, but we should look at a whole meal pattern or, for example, the effect of breakfast consumption mm. on, uh, on brain function. Yeah, that's all very interesting, but I was also wondering what are the interrelations? For example, we do know that people who exercise a lot have a better night sleep. Mm -hmm. And I also asked our experts that question. So I asked them specifically, how are physical activity, sleep and nutrition interrelated in relation to the brain and its function? And we have some very nice uh, videos uh, of this. So Let's have a look together uh, at this. Do you have any idea how physical activity, nutrition and sleep are interrelated um, in relation to brain function? Well, I have some idea. Uh, one of the ideas is that uh, when you look in, uh, for instance, in the field of people with dementia, uh, then it's quite known that they are not well uh, feed. They're, they are undernutrited. And um, important is when you want to have a high level of physical activity, you need to be uh, in a good condition. So in that sense, I think that um, um, nutrition has a direct relationship to your level of physical activity. This is one thing. Another important point is that sleep, when you are physically active during the day, it will have a very positive influence on your nightly sleeplessness. Um, that, that is one point. Another point is that um, Recent literature shows that when you sleep well uh, and you have studied, for instance, you have studied before and then you go to sleep directly after you have studied, uh, then for instance areas like the hippocampus 
um, they, they do it very well in the sense that they consolidate all those information you have just learned um, before you went to sleep. So there are indeed recent indications uh, indication that there is a strong relationship between learning uh, and sleep and between physical activity and sleep, of course, because those who are inactive uh, are taking naps during the day and they generally they have a disturbed nightly restless uh, night, nightly sleep. Uh, so, yeah. How do you think that these three factors are interrelated in relation to brain function, of course? Uh, no, they are interrelated. Uh, often, you, yeah, you can't see them uh, each separately. Uh, often also people who are physically active also tend to have a healthier diet, have a better, better sleeping pattern, etc. Also, yeah, if you only uh, have uh, a good nutrition, yeah, the, the, which is very good, but it's, it's probably not sufficient. So you need all these factors to uh, have an optimal brain performance. And yeah, from several examples, you can also see that people who sleep better, uh, for example, in the morning, they have more attention, a better memory, etc. So it's they are correlated in, in, in many different ways. Are you aware of other specific substances, nutrients influencing one of the other two yeah, factors? Yeah, specific nutrients. For example, tryptophan, it, it makes you more sleepy. Uh, so the, yeah, in, the, in one way it makes you more sleepy, so you are less, your attention is less. For the, on the other hand, if you give it in the evening, you have a good sleep, then your performance in the morning will be better because of this, uh, of this effect. Mm. And of course, there are also some studies found about the relationship between BMI and cognitive functioning. Yes, that's also one of the factors. BMI is yeah, affected by uh, physical activity, the level of physical activity, but also by nutrition. Uh, yeah, the amounts you eat, uh, although it doesn't necessarily say yeah, the quality of your food, although the people who are, have a high BMI often have a, not the best quality, but uh, it's, not, yeah. it's not sure. But that's also one of the factors via, via obesity. And I yeah. also read some papers about the link between uh, 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 sleep and body mass nutrition. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Uh, yes, I also read about that. And yeah, people who have who sleep less, sleep less, they tend to have a higher BMI, so more obesity. So in that way, it's uh, it's also related. Okay. Yes. And is it not possible that those people who have the most healthy diet? are also the most healthy people in general, so have a better uh, or more physical activity, more sleep, uh, what do you think less, about etc. Yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, a thing. Usually these are also the kinds of people that are inv uh, investigated. People who want to be participants in research are often that kind of people. They are also the people, yeah, hard to reach with, uh, with all kinds of health messages. Uh, but I also know that, for example, in, uh, in observational studies, one of the advantages there is that you can, uh, yeah, you can adjust your studies for that. So you also have information about smoking and uh, all kinds of other variables. So you can adjust for that so that your uh, results are not biased too much by these other factors. Uh, although you, you, can, you can never adjust for all factors. There will also be some remaining factors that uh, you don't know. But Are you now actually saying that uh, the, the, the persons in which research is uh, done are actually also already a kind of selection bias. 
in a way I'm saying that yes and I think that's also true and you have to keep that in mind with uh, yeah if you want to extrapolate your uh, results to the to the general population or uh, maybe even more to specific uh, groups of the population yeah you have to keep that in mind that maybe it works different in how do you think that these three factors physical activity nutrition and sleep are interrelated and then especially in relation to the brain and its function now of course they they are uh, um, all important fac factors uh, in the end uh, determining or characterizing uh, your lifestyle and of course, there's a very obvious relationship in the way that uh, sleep is uh, complementing wakefulness and in this way complementing nutritional and physical aspects of life because you're active, physically active during wakefulness, you take in food during wakefulness and you don't take in food, you don't eat during sleep you are not physically active during sleep. So sleep in this context fulfills a kind of uh, yeah, complementing function. Obviously you need sleep to really effectively use your, uh, maybe your food you take in during the wake phase to uh, really also digest, of course, your cognitive um, experiences mm -hmm. you have during wakefulness. But I know from some studies who are showing that people with overweight have less good sleep. Um, is there a same brain mechanism behind that? Between overweight yeah, you, yeah, and, and, and You put it in an interesting or? way because there's an association between uh, insufficient sleep or uh, short habitually short sleep duration and uh, overweight obesity so people who do not sleep enough get overweight but uh, I think the, the common view on it is at the moment at least is uh, that uh, you can treat these people perhaps by telling them that they should look at their sleep habits and sleep longer yeah so uh, uh, I think most researchers at the moment would say um, these people who are overweight and do not sleep enough maybe they could recover normal weight if they just would go into a more smoothly uh, lifestyle with sufficient sleep yeah but there is also some few uh, 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 experimental evidence from mice uh, showing that there is also a, a, a causal relationship uh, in the other way around, in the converse direction, uh, such that uh, obesity per se obviously produces signals uh, that are perceived by the brain in a way that it doesn't sleep anymore that effectively. All right, Renate, we saw the experts presenting their view on the interrelation between the lifestyle factors. Can you give a small summary? Yeah, well, we saw a lot of interrelations eh, that uh, many were uh, mentioned by uh, the expert. For example, um, and then we can also have a look back uh, at the slides uh, again. Uh, fatigue might be the result of an uh, unhealthy uh, lifestyle. Um, 
The other way around, people sleep better if they exercise a lot. Uh, there is also a recent publication about that from 2011 from uh, Loprisini. Um, lack of sleep induces overweight. Um, in mice, uh, overweight causes bad sleep again. Um, when we look to the balance, eh, uh, nutrition, physical activity can lead to um, uh, overweight. Uh, overweight is associated with less cognitive uh, performance or worse cognitive uh, performance. Um, when we look specifically at uh, the nutrition part, then we do know that uh, caffeine induces uh, arousal. Um, but the other way around, tryptophan uh, uh, causes more sleepiness. Um, and from my studies, again, we do know that circadian disruptions causes uh, decreases in uh, physical activity. So yes, uh, indeed, I do think there are a lot of interrelation, what is also uh, confirmed by our experts. Mm. Yeah, an interesting point, I think of it just now, is then also all these interrelations, perhaps these are also caused by epigenetic changes. If you, if you sleep less, perhaps you get more epigenetic gene activation for a specific hunger gene and eat more the day after. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. I think that's also a possibility. And I think also, yeah, Noortje here, uh, she's also uh, saying, so what is the effect of BMI to brain function? I don't know whether I was specific enough uh, on it, but mm -hmm. uh, what I do know from a lot of uh, epidemiological studies, because it's of course very difficult to yeah. investigate this in, in a, a causal, uh, uh, in an experimental study to investigate causal mm -hmm. relationships, we don't do know from uh, studies in adults that um, 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 overweight is not really uh, associated with worse cognitive performance but uh, really a too high uh, BMI so obesity mm -hmm. uh, has a negative association in children it's even a bit worse there we do see that overweight is already associated with worse cognitive uh, performance. The question is whether it's also a direct correlation or whether it's going through more psychological effects, like uh, if you are overweight, your self-esteem might be a bit yeah. lower when you have lower self-esteem cognitive performance or academic achievements is yeah. uh, worse. So yeah, that's of course a bit uh, difficult to say, especially because you don't have any, can't say anything about the causal effects. Yeah. Um, Hanneke Noordam, she's also suggesting uh, maybe the relation between sleep and obesity is multi-causal. Not enough sleep can cause obes obesity and obesity can cause uh, sleep problems such as apnoe. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can shortly react on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see the interrelations. Uh, higher BMI causes uh, bad sleep, bad sleep causes higher BMI. It's, it's exactly what you said. It's very difficult to see any causal effects in that. And it's also very, very likely that, that all the effects generated by a high BMI or a lack of sleep are again amplifying each other. So, but I think it's very difficult yeah. to, to, to say something more concrete yeah. to yeah. this. Of course, today eh, we don't focus on the interrelationships. Eh? Our primary outcome of interest is still brain, brain and its um, 
function. But maybe it's interesting to mention here that uh, recently I saw a Spanish uh, study from Martinez uh, Gomez, uh, and it's a study from 2012, and uh, they uh, investigated whether um, yeah, the independent or the combined effect of four health behaviors um, are different on school performance in Spanish adolescents. Uh, in Spanish adolescents, so they investigated whether the four uh, separate health behaviors had an influence and what the combined effect was. Yeah, that was exactly what I wanted to ask you: whether these these combined factors would cause more cognitive improvement than these single factors alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. this is a very interesting uh, study and it was executed in uh, almost 2,000 uh, participants and uh, they defined a lifestyle or the four lifestyle factors um, in a way whether they were meeting the recommendations or not meeting the recommendation and they divided them in four categories, namely physical activity, TV viewing, sleep and fruit intake. And maybe we can have a look at the mm -hmm. graph with the results uh, to see what came out uh, uh, from it. And what you uh, see uh, in these uh, four uh, graphs actually, the first one is uh, dealing with the outcome measure language and literature, the second one with mob performance and the uh, uh, third one with, uh, uh, yeah, school performance in uh, general. The black bars uh, represent the fact that the participant was showing one, zero or one of these healthy behaviors. The dark gray bars represent those participants who had two of those uh, health behaviors, whereas the light gray bar represent those participants who had uh, three or four of those uh, healthy uh, behaviors. And what we uh, can conclude from this uh, is that especially girls who had at least three or four of those health behaviors, that they did better in school on uh, language and literature, on math, and also on academic achievement in general. So the authors do conclude that a combination of health behavior is related to good academic performance in Spanish adolescent girls. And that uh, they corrected for a lot of factors like, uh, like weight status, uh, family structure, uh, and school related uh, factors uh, such as motivation for school, uh, skipping classes, uh, and repeating uh, a course. In the boys, however, the results were different. Uh, academic achievement uh, seemed to be more influenced by school-related uh, factors. So in total, uh, a combination of health behaviors may have more impact, at least in girls, than any single uh, factor. But is there yeah. any explanation you can think of why this, this sex difference is apparent? Well, that might have to do with the difference in developmental perspective between uh, boys and girls. Uh, girls are, in average, two years earlier mature than boys are, so the difference in pubertal uh, status at that uh, moment, but also the interaction uh, with hormones. But the authors don't really give an, uh, an argument mm -hmm. uh, uh, for that. 
But I think this study also has several limitations. Um, they talk about an influence. Of course, this study, again, doesn't show a causal relationship. Uh, it's an obs uh, observational study, so no causal effects are investigated. So they should talk about an association instead of an influence. Uh, indeed. Because that su suggests causal relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in addition, uh, all the health behavior were measured by questionnaires. So, um, and as we know, huh, Martin van Dijk told us, for example, that uh, with uh, 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 reporting your physical activity, you really have an over uh, rapportation of your physical activity when you compare it with an accelerometer, for example. Mm. Um, and I'm also wondering what the relevance of the health behaviors they included really are. Because fruit consumption, yeah, I do know people who do uh, get the recommendations of at least two pieces of fruit a day, but in the meantime, uh, at the evening, they only consume uh, fast food, for example. So whether fruit consumption is really a good uh, proxy of a healthy nutritional behavior, yeah, I doubt it. But and of course, social desirability with this type of questionnaires is very high. Of course, of course, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, the, the uh, factors they included as covariate, for example, BMI, mm. I think that might have been a very important uh, main variable which should have been included. But what I especially do like about this study is that they really combined the lifestyle factors. And I think that's the new way we should go with yep. research. So don't focus only on specific parts. Of course, those kind of studies should also be done, but also the integrated who of yep. it, uh, actually. Um, yeah, and when we have a look at the next slide, um, then um, I'm also wondering how we, we of course, looked bet uh, really to the effects between uh, uh, several um, biological lifestyle factors and cognitive uh, performance. And a healthy lifestyle might have a beneficial impact on the brain and its uh, function via several uh, mechanisms, directly, but also indirectly, uh, epigenetics might play a role in this. But what we totally didn't take into account are the more psychological uh, uh, factors. Um, for example, uh, well-being, depression, stress, anxiety. Uh, and again, we do know have people who sport a lot, for example, are emotional in a much better condition than when they don't sport. So yeah. I think those psychological factors are also really uh, very important. And I know a lot of studies which also focus on stress and anxiety and how this relates to epigenetic changes and then combined with the biological lifestyle factors. Yeah, yeah indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was also wondering what our experts thought about which factor might now be the most important factor for uh, brain functioning. And I asked them all, so Let's have a look at uh, the second uh, video uh, now. Are you also suggesting now that physical activity is the most important factor? 
of are, those three I hesitate environmental to, I hesitate to say factors? that. But, but I, you know, well, vegetative is uh, more my expertise than the other two. Um, I do think that they are really the interrelationship between the three is, is absolutely most important. I couldn't say that one is more important than the other one. And uh, again, I think that uh, when you are eating, um, that you have you eat less during the day. You are not fed very well, like we often see in the nursing homes. Also, because your oral health is bad and you are not taking the necessary vitamins, etc. Then there is no chance that you will be become physically active during the day and take initiatives etc um, so i think that this there is a close relationship and I, i don't think that one is more important than the other one are you aware of any economic status uh, healthy nutrition better food uh, other lifestyle factors stress for example yeah right well i think uh, for both we can say something about for, for both parts uh, for both sides uh, yes i do think there are studies that indicate that people in a high social economic uh, who live in a social economic level uh, that they are the most physical ones and that they also are very healthy etc um, but on the other side um, uh, when you are physically uh, active you reduce risks for Um, um, let's say for diseases that are age-related, like dementia, like cardiovascular diseases, like diabetes, etc. So, yes, I do think that um, that the people are uh, at the highest level. They are healthy and they have time, or they make time because they are sensitive enough to do something about their physical activity level. On the other hand, I do think that there is a causal relationship between the fact that you are physically active and you reduce your risk factors and then you will increase your health. Okay. So you actually stay with your take-home message of last time, keep cycling? Yes, of course, yes. Okay. yes, yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And which of these three factors do you think is the most important one? Yeah, as a nutritionist, what do you think now? I would say nutrition now. You are, of course, in favor of the nutrition. Yes, but, but it's hard to make a choice. Uh, no, I, I would not even be able to make a choice. So uh, I, I would say nutrition as a nutritionist, but only nutrition without all the other factors. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good, but not everything. Well, I think that's a very nice message to finish uh, this with. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Which of these three factors, so nutrition, sleep and physical activity, might be the most important one? Uh, I, of course, personally, yeah. For brain function, <laughs> I of course. Feel, I feel sleep is the most important one for my life, for my career as a researcher, as a neuroscientist. Um, but this is, I, I wouldn't put it in this terms, in this perspective, because As I said, these functions are, or these aspects are complementing, and uh, uh, they they are related to completely different phases of uh, of the life, yeah, of uh, this circadian uh, cycle. So um, you cannot say uh, sleep is more important than physical activity uh, during daytime. But from Both the other important. way around, mm -hmm. uh, you can't without sleep. Sleep is really essential. If yeah. I say, well, I don't like to exercise, I can just skip that. But, But I don't know. We I, I, that makes me remembering of of, of a recent uh, um, paper. I'm contributing to about uh, uh, completely locked in 
uh, a patient who doesn't move at all, yeah, and he loses at least uh, uh, the capability to to uh, uh, express normal sleep, yeah, in this way. And um, I think it's probably premature to say, okay, uh, uh, sleep is more important than physical activity, um, because we are not really sure what happens when somebody is really completely immobile during his act. Uh, face, you know. I, I, I could speculate at least that uh, when when you just don't move at all during the wake period, you would in this way also uh, lose the capability to sleep, to express sleep. Okay, thank you very much. Mm. So it's clear we all need a good night's sleep. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Well, I think that's a very nice uh, overview and I think all our experts came to the uh, same conclusion. So that's a very important interplay between all kind of uh, lifestyle uh, factors. Um, let's go back to the questions uh, we have from our uh, participants and I'll look them uh, up and I just go a bit from left to right uh, through them. Uh, Martin van Dijk is asking, uh, what do you think about these results? Is it possible that the different lifestyle behaviors reinforce each other? That was actually the same with sleep and nutrition, which we just stated earlier. Uh, I believe the question was from Hanukkah, I'm not sure. But I think that's, that's the same thing. I think that if you're physically active, for instance, you get motivated more, your sleep gets better, your the day after feeling better motivation is also i think it's it's uh, i think it's an interplay and i think they can add to it yeah yeah yeah, yeah i agree with you um Hanneke, uh you are asking uh, did the spanish article mention any concrete recommendation based on their results uh yes of course they recommendate an, uh, a healthy lifestyle but they also recommendate and further studies to include more different health behaviors. So don't just focus on, on one specific thing, but try to include more or at least try to correct for them. Um, but the next question uh, from Noortje, which uh, goes into more detail in this, is, is it really possible to separate the influence of these factors if they are so intercorrelated? Yeah, Shoram. Yeah. What do you think? You are I, I actually doing a kind yeah. of comparable study. Yeah, yeah? Maybe I'm you can elaborate a bit on that, yeah. what you are exactly doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking exactly at this whole spring school, actually, because I'm, I'm investigating the relationship between physical activity, nutrition, sleep, and study success, on the other hand. So, uh, and cognition is, of course, a necessity for, uh, for learning and study success as a result. Um, I think it's worthy to look into th these factors apart from each other but yeah as, as we now also show i think it's very important also to see if there are interactive effects whether these are additive complementary or synergistic um, but it's also of course very different uh, very difficult it's very difficult to uh, exclude factors from each other it's very difficult to find causal reactions so uh, yeah um, I also saw a question from uh, Martin van Dijk, who's mentioning, well, 
the nerds of the uh, class. Uh, they are most of the time seen as the most intellectual uh, people of uh, the class. Um, they don't study a lot. They do a lot of gaming. Uh, they go to bed uh, lead, late. Uh, they don't uh, participate in any uh, sports or so what. How can we, as we are staying here, uh, explaining that they are still doing so well in school? In school? Yeah, I think accesses are everywhere. You always have, have a, a small group which is different from another group. It's always possible. And I think there's also a small minority of people who are different. Um, but what, which of course, what of course could be the case is that uh, these so-called nerds, so to say, uh, have just the genetic predisposition and already some epigenetic factors which are very useful for them. This is, this is very good possible, that these parents had a good lifestyle, they carry over stable hereditary epigenetic influences that cause them to, to just um, have good outcomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, I'm looking uh, whether we have uh, any other uh, questions. Um, from an exercise philosophy uh, perspective, I know that training efforts extinguish after a while. However, I understand from your story that these training efforts will be stored somewhere in the DNA. Am I right? If you pose it like that way, I would say no, because it's not stored in the DNA. The DNA, DNA itself is stable. Uh, the DNA doesn't change. Of course, there are also some exceptions in which uh, genes are copied falsely. But I think Martin uh, is referring to the epigenetics, actually. And I think the, the advances or the advantages of um, physical activity or other lifestyle factors on the epigenetic changes, they can last longer, but they can also be very acute. So it's very difficult to say when a change is stable and longer and when it's uh, acute. And this is, uh, I think, something for research. And yeah, I couldn't give an answer to that. Yeah. OK. Uh, David Gast has uh, a specific question for you. Uh, he's interested in uh, what kind of research design you use in your uh, study. So maybe tell us a bit more about it. All right, David, uh, thanks it's for your question. It's called Allowed. It's called Allowed, yeah, that's true. It's called Allowed, the uh, Adult Learning Open University Determinant Study. And the research design we use is a, um, uh, we use a survey in which we embedded a questionnaire to also map the lifestyle factors, a lot of different covariates, also the psychological variables are also mapped, which Renata just talked about. This is done by my uh, project colleague, uh, Joyce Neroni. And uh, next to that, we um, uh, give the participants also three neuropsychological tests in order to measure cognition and study success. We gather that data via the exam registration office. So this is, uh, this is actually the design. Has adv advantages, has disadvantages. Of course, again, just like the study from Martinez Gomez, which you said, it's, it's subjective and that's in a way, unfortunate. The other, uh, other way around is very fortunate because we invite 6,000 people in one year and we have a, a response rate of 35% uh, already. So possibly more than 2,000 people in one year. So you have a very large uh, base of knowledge or base of data from which you can extract new knowledge. But um, it would be very, 
very useful to go deeper into the causal relationships and perhaps I'm going to do that also with some accelerometers from Martin. Yeah, and also the strong point is that in your study uh, it's also in a longitudinal yeah, perspective. That's true. Eh? Yeah. So if we have changes in specific health behaviors, we might uh, be able to say something about the causal relationships. That's true. Yeah. Uh, we hope that the response rate will still be high, so we have a high rate of participants uh, included. And I think another strong point indeed is what you already mentioned is that we are including also the psychological determinants. Mm. So not only the biological determinants, the biological lifestyle factors, but also some psychological uh, um, factors from which we know they are associated with uh, uh, school performance or in this case uh, study uh, success. Well, um, I think this whole wrap-up session comes to an end and with that also our uh, spring school comes uh, to an end. Um, I think we can conclude with the fact that, well, there is a lot of more work to be done on the specific lifestyle factors, but also on the interplay between the different lifestyle factors in relation to brain function and uh, cognitive uh, functioning. Sharom, I thank you for your attendance uh, today uh, in this uh, wrap-up session. Your wonderful uh, input, but also uh, your moderating of all of the live sessions uh, in the past. It was wonderful to have you uh, in uh, our uh, group for this. Um, I also would like to uh, uh, take the opportunity to uh, uh, thank the rest of my uh, colleagues who really worked hard to get this all done. Uh, the technical staff, the people who supported me with uh, the more organizational uh, things. Guys, you were all great. Uh, and last but not least, I would also like to thank you, the participants. Um, of this digital uh, spring school for all your input, uh, your input during the live sessions, but also your interesting blogs uh, that really stimulated uh, the discussion. I think we really learned from uh, each other and I'm uh, looking back on a uh, very successful first digital uh, spring school. Um, I do hope that you also enjoyed and maybe uh, uh, there will be a continuation of this uh, next year. Thank you very much. Thank you.